I've listened to so many signals that I thought would validate my business and my business ideas, but they actually turn out to just mislead me or take me in the wrong direction. So let's talk about validating a business and just how challenging that is today. This episode is sponsored by Acquire.com, a place that allows you to actually sell or buy a validated business, incidentally, but more on that later. Let's start with validation. Remember, most important thing, there really isn't any real validation in entrepreneurship. And not just entrepreneurship, like even in the theoretical world of academia, you cannot prove a theory is valid. You can only assume that it's likely valid because it hasn't been invalidated yet. The moment of proving a theory false is just one counterexample away at any point in time. And since we never really know everything there is to know, there's always a chance we're missing something. There's a chance that we haven't found the counterexample yet or the reason why a thing is not truly a valid thing, right? So we search. That's what we do. To compensate for this lack of knowledge, we search. We look for signals for validation all the time. We need reasons to keep pushing. That's why we do this. We need a motivation to keep spending our days staring at our screens, building something that has never been built just like that before. And often, particularly when we're starting a new thing, we are dangerously biased in those moments. We are biased towards what signals we actually choose to look at in the first place. The biggest validation trap that I have found is preemptively filtering out the good and ingesting only the bad in terms of signals that you could potentially take in. Right? It's misunderstanding what's a good and what is a bad signal, and mixing them up, confusing them. We might call this kind of the Cinderella fallacy after her sorting out the beans for her horrible family, right? The good ones went into the pot, and the bad ones, that they were eaten. It's kind of how we treat this particular kind of signal stuff as well. When we're trying to recognize a pattern to understand, to, to deal with the, the need for validation, our efforts often serve our founder ego much more than the reality of building a business that stands a chance. We want to appease our preconceived notions instead of looking for the kind of hard factual truth that might mean that our idea was wrong. So what we often select for is confirmation. But we should look for its opposite. Instead of looking for validation and confirmation, we should actively search for reasons why something might be wrong. And we should really do that work. We should spend a lot of time on that. If we can't find good enough reasons to invalidate something, even after we try it for a while, only then might we be onto something with our idea. But unfortunately, that's not how our minds work. Entrepreneurs tend to be optimistic, so we often assume that things will work out because of some inherent quality in the idea, or worse, I guess, ourselves as the founders. But that's not always true. I would wager that it's actually false most of the time. Let's look at some examples of what might seem like validation signals, but actually aren't. One big example is when a business offers a free plan, the freemium business model. People can sign up to that and use the service for free until they reach a certain limit. That's just the definition of it, really. And usually that limit is low enough to get started, but quickly reached when things start working out for the user, right? The moment people make money, and I mean the customers, when the customers of your business make money using your tool, most freemium businesses then charge at that point. And then people have to pay. And we might think that people signing up for the free plan is a signal. That means our product is working and people want to use it. 
And that is true, I guess. They do use it, but this doesn't really validate our business. At most, it validates that the product works as intended, but a free user who never converts to paid, that's not validation. It's a de facto expense to your business. Premium plans really need a good amount of conversion and retention to be true validation signals. If users don't pay, there's no revenue. And no matter how useful the product is, something or someone has to pay for your expenses. And over time, a freemium business with lots of free users but no paying customers, well, that indicates that there's a big problem with your business model. Because at that point, you might as well call it a charity. I was talking to Asia Orangio earlier this week. She's an expert in go-to-market, product market fit, and growth. She knows a lot about the early stages of businesses. And the podcast episode with her will be out in a few weeks too. She told me that freemium businesses often struggle because their onboarding and time to value are underwhelming. If you need to wow your free users into paying, and then your efforts are kind of lackluster, you will not convert enough of them to be profitable. And sometimes people don't see the value that you provide with your product, with your solution, that they would need to become paying customers. They just don't see it. Either it's not there at all, so that's a product problem, or they cannot find it. It's hidden. It's not obvious. You're not nurturing it clearly. It might be because the product or its features don't meet their expectations too. Or maybe you're solving a problem that they don't want to spend money on. Budget is an issue here too. Just having users, and that's the summary here, does not mean your business is successful. If you have many users but no customers, you might have a validation problem and an invalidation opportunity. Your business might not make sense and people don't need it and don't want to budget for it. Maybe you should pivot at that point. There are other types of validation that can be misleading too. So I'll give you another example here. Getting a little bit too much support from your founder peer group. That is one. And that's one that I experience a lot, being surrounded by so many founders. Because founders are usually super supportive. They're encouraging and compassionate. They might actually use products made by other founders just because they like them. The founders, not the products. Not because the product is good. So when they become your early customers, you might think it's validation, but that's not always true either. Sometimes we buy from each other just to support each other's work, but that doesn't mean anyone outside our founder circle needs the product or even wants to pay for it. Be careful when selling to communities or audiences that are tied to your founder peers, to your entrepreneurial network. You wanna make sure you're not just selling to hopeful people with some kind of disposable income trying to keep you afloat. Indie hackers often fall into this trap when their friends and fellow indie entrepreneurs become early adopters. And and this can actually invalidate the product for other audiences because you're not listening to those people's voices and opinions. You're only focusing on your indie peer early adopters because you think that is your audience, but it doesn't have to be. And for most businesses, it really isn't. But it can be an early stage. So just don't mistake it for the actual customer that you should be listening to. The key here is that validation should come from listening to the right people. And just like in the freemium world, listening to your paying customers instead of your free users, your friends or your well-meaning peers is very, very important if you want to get true and actionable information. Paying customers may have done something that everybody else has not, and that is a commitment. And their feedback is, therefore, I guess, far more valuable for growing your business than anybody else's. Focus on listening to people who represent the majority of your paying customer base, and maybe even the majority of where your revenue comes from within your customer base. Because even if someone suggests adding a feature for them to sign up, that's interesting when they tell you, hey, if you built this, I'm going to buy a year's worth. Cool, but... 
that is still not a guarantee. That might also just be wishful thinking. These people are not your customers unless they spend money on your product. One thing I've heard people do in this situation where somebody tells you, I'm going to buy this if you build this feature, is that you actually make them pay for the feature before you build it. You tell them, I'm going to build this. You're going to get a discount or whatever, or you pay some extra because we don't have this feature yet and it costs us. kind of depends on where you are with your own business, but you make them pay upfront. Right? You don't just build because they say they might then buy. You have them buy. You guarantee that the feature will be there in however many weeks or months it might take you. Be careful what you promise there because if that is part of a contract, you really want to make sure you deliver. But you make people pay first. That is somebody you can then listen to. But listening to them just because they say they might buy, now nah, that's a problem. Your true customers are those who face the challenge your product solves and they have enough reason to spend part of the budget on what you already have. Don't let those hopeful prospects design your roadmap because that is a disaster. Mostly because the people who then design your roadmap are not the people who are using the product already. So you're building features for people who are not using the product and you're not building features for people who are using the product. That is a problem. You don't want that. That doesn't mean you shouldn't consider other ideas, but commitment to your product is the key to validation. Validation comes when someone opens their wallet or shares their credit card information. Asia Oranger told me that. She said that it is the best way to know if a business will be profitable. Her experience helping hundreds of consulting clients go to market shows that nothing else can predict profitability just as reliably as an entrepreneur focusing on the needs and desires of their paying customers. That's it. It's all you can do. It's all you have to do. And everything else is colored by something that is not important for your business. Outside external information, people's opinions, people's well-meaning wishes or whatever it is, that does not translate into business validation signals. The only way to know who you should talk to about future updates, integrations, pricing models, any business question you might have, is by finding those who are paying for your product. So focus on understanding and serving these people well and being in communication with them at all times, that's as close as you can get to actually validating your business idea. And that's it for today. Let me share a couple quick updates for my build and public project with Podline FM. Honestly, I haven't really done much over the holidays. Like I think I, I, the last thing I really committed something meaningful to the code base was before Christmas. That was an intentional choice. A couple episodes ago on this podcast, I talked about how I want Podline to be a side project that may turn into something big because it will be slowly growing and it will be slowly just made more of a product. I don't want to overcommit to it. And I took my own advice to heart and said, around Christmas, this is time for family, for reflection, for reunion with people who I haven't seen most of the year. And instead of hiding in my little den where I'm recording this right now, I chose to be present with, with everybody else around me to the maximum of my ability, both of my actual physical ability to be places and my mental exhaustion levels that I get as an introvert, even around family. But, you know, you gotta, gotta spend time with the people you love to show them that you're there. So I did, which means for the business, there wasn't much I did. I added a couple things to my to-do list. I played around with a couple things over the, the holidays, but it really wasn't any meaningful commitment. I made sure that my infrastructure was running well. I 
you know, set up a couple services for logging and application monitoring, that kind of thing, but wasn't really any coding involved or any marketing for that matter, right? I, I kind of put a pause on all this. Also, probably because I said I'm going to wait until early January to actually launch this because I'm still not done with what I think is my core feature for the market that I'm serving. The market I'm serving are podcasters who are already in contact with their audience, who have an established audience, like established podcasts. And for that, I need theming. It's one of the things for the widget that I have. Like it looks out of place if it's like one default color or like a default set of colors and it's integrated into somebody else's page it really looks horrible so what i want to do and i'm just going to share like my my vision of my marketing outreach strategy here because that's going to be an interesting one to follow i will do outreach on a per podcast basis so I already know which podcasts have a lot of call-ins, right? I, I mentioned that a couple of episodes ago. I did a, a research using um, builtwith.com, I think, to get all the customers of competitor products or people who have similar products on their website. So I have a big list of all kinds of podcasts who use these tools already. And I know that all of these podcasts have a, th a color theme, like a, a color scheme, a couple of colors that reflect their brand identity. And the theming that I currently do on Podline, what I'm working on right now, is capable of kind of having any color I want. Any color scheme that has like two, three colors can be mirrored there. So what I want to build is a tool to automatically ingest that list of, what is it, four or 5,000 different podcasts, figure out the color scheme of the podcast, automatically create a theme for Podline from that, and then maybe even automatically create um, a Podline channel inside of my product that I can send to them to show them what it would look like on their website. Like I could create a video, maybe automated, maybe manually, or at least a screenshot of what their widget with their name and their logo and their theme colors and all that in there would look like. I can even send them a link to me having already sent a message to their channel. That is kind of my, my outreach strategy. I'm going to see if I can scale this. But I think particularly with the podcast in the space where I already know a couple people, that will get some attention and might even lead to some kind of social media sharing. I hope so. That's going to be an interesting little approach that I'm going to try to do automation of outreach that is not completely cold, but it's, it's integrated. It's kind of taking very personalized, I guess, a personalized approach to pre-building the tool that would then be integrated in somebody else's website. So that's what I'm working on right now. Still might take me a week or so, and I'm really not bound to anything here. So I'm going to make it nice. I'm going to make it themable as, as much as possible. Um, and then after that, obviously, the next thing is actual outreach. So that will then need to happen. But for the tools that I need to have in place for that, I'm still going to spend a couple of weeks. One thing, and I mentioned Asia a couple times earlier, I talked to her about, you know, lots of things in terms of early stage growth. I'm really rethinking the free tier that I have, like because Podline is a freemium product, because I assume that a lot of podcasters do not have a massive budget when they're starting out, but might benefit from having the tool early on. And then the moment they get a lot of messages, that should indicate some kind of podcast success, which comes with sponsors and, you know, budgets. So... Um, I'm rethinking of uh, like what I'm going to do with the free tier. Because that's what I said. Freemium is not a guarantee for a valid business. But does it mean freemium is bad? Probably not. So I'm kind of wondering, having talked to Asia about this and having heard 
her very firm opinion on this not being a smart move for bootstrappers. I do wonder what your idea is about this, dear listener. <laughs> if you're listening right now and you, you heard me talk about freemium and, and pricing and that, and now you're hearing me thinking about, well, should I have this in my own business? Let me know. Like, honestly, just, well, I guess, send me a voice message, like podline.fm slash arvid. That's uh, like the triumvirate of all the things together, right? The content of the podcast, the theme of the podcast, and my building public project. So yeah, podline.fm slash arvid. Let me know if, if you think freemium is a good idea for my product or not. And yeah, we'll go from there. I think that's pretty much it for today. I think I'm going to Briefly thank my sponsor now, acquire.com, somebody who I hope to eventually sell this product to. So maybe instead of uh, just like you praising acquire, which is absolutely a thing that I would do because it's a it's a cool company and it's a cool product. Let me just tell you about how I envision my own interaction of this business once it's growing with acquire. So one day I'm going to be at, uh, let's just say maybe 50K MRR, maybe I have a thousand customers. That's really what that would be, right? I would have 50K MRR, uh, everybody on the, the customer, on the plan that would generate 50 bucks a month. And I, I would feel like, okay, this is this is fun. This, this has been a good run. It's been a, a project that I wanted to build, but I could probably sell this for a couple million at this point, right? Growing customer base, a lot of pricing flexibility, Good retention because I I would probably have a lot of good retention at that point with a thousand customers that use this tool actively on their long running podcasts. Probably would see um, above average retention for this tool in the future, and then I would just really think, well, if I can, if I could sell it now, why wouldn't I? Right? I can always keep running it until I get to a point where I have to sell it, but why not put the feelers out? So I'd go to acquire.com, I would log in as a potential seller of a business, I would list the, the project there, give the rough information about what the numbers are, what churn is, what the current MRR is, what the field, the industry that it's in is, and then I would list it. And then I can assure you, for a business that has margins as good as Podline will have at that point, people will be interested. And they will send me requests for more information, letters of intent, and all that. And the one benefit that Acquire.com has is that it is anonymized, but the team, the Acquire team, is incredibly helpful. Like They will help me list this for as much as I can. Or let's just say for as much as I can realistically sell, right? I could probably list it for 10 times that, but then nobody would buy it. Then nobody would be interested. And that would also be a completely missed signal, right? I want signals from people who would buy the thing. They just need more information. So I would list it on the platform and then I would see if people are willing to pay my business. I know they would be probably because I would also tweet about it and get a lot of uh, people interested in the listing. But the most important part is that at that point, when I feel ready to sell, I will be able to do this on acquire.com. And you might be in a situation where you feel I could sell. I have a business that it doesn't matter how much it is, if it's like making 5k MRR, 50k MMR, or maybe less, maybe more, like your personal circumstance of when you feel you're ready to sell, that is your choice to make. And I would highly recommend looking at acquire.com to see if you can just list what you have right now. You don't have to sell it, but you can always figure out if somebody would be interested in buying it from you. So yeah, that's what I'm going to leave you with. 
Thanks so much for listening to the Boots of Founder today. You can find me on Twitter at Avid Khan, A-R-V-A-D-K-H-L. And you will find my books on my Twitter course there too. And if you want to support me on the show, please subscribe to my YouTube channel, get the podcast in your player of choice, and leave a five-star rating and a review by going to ratethispodcast.com slash founder. Makes a massive difference if you show up there because then the podcast will show up for other people. This will really help the show. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful day. 